My guest today is a board-certified allergist immunologist. Please welcome Dr. Karen Kaufman. Karen, how's it going? Hey, good. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. Doing fine. Thank you for coming on to this podcast, Karen. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you for having me. All right. <laughs> well, let's, you know what, let's jump right into it. What do you do? So I am a board certified allergist immunologist. And so my job is to take care of patients. I'm a clinical doctor. So I see patients all day and help them with all sorts of stuff relating to what their immune system is doing sometimes wrong and sometimes a little haywire. Okay. And then, so this is a very specific field. What made you choose to get into this field? And when did that happen? (laughs) This is what you wanted to do. Oh, that's a loaded question. (laughs) So I went to medical school after I graduated from college. And while I was a medical school student, I decided that I wanted to pursue a career in internal medicine. And as I went through my internship and my residency training, I started to kind of feel out that I didn't think primary care was going to be for me. And so from internal medicine, there's a whole lot of different specialties that you can kind of go down a different avenue. Mm -hmm. And actually, what's funny is that initially I was kind of moving in the direction of becoming a cardiologist. And when I was a second year resident, one of my really close friends was a first year cardiology fellow. And she was struggling. I mean, not academically. She was, she's extremely bright and very successful now, of course. But in the training phase, it was just really hard. Mm. And it kind of sucked the life out of all of us a little bit. You know, we're working 80-hour weeks and 30-hour shifts. And, and it was easy to, to kind of feel that burden of the training. And so as I started to see her struggling with the beginning of her subspecialty life, It certainly was coincidental, but it coincided with a rotation I did in allergy and clinical immunology. And it was the first time I even realized that that was a possible avenue to go down. I didn't even know that was a specialty of medicine. (laughs) And so I went on and did this rotation and I just fell in love with it. I mean, it's such a specialty subspecialty where you really get to kind of embrace taking care of both adults and children. So as an internal medicine physician, that was really my first experience in, in delving into pediatrics, but it's very focused pediatrics. But I totally loved it. And I could really see that rather than kind of temporizing kind of long-term chronic diseases, which I felt like we did in many other fields of internal medicine, I really felt that with allergy and immunology really changed the trajectory of the way that people live. And that was such a big push for me. So I kind of switched gears at that point and decided that was the field of medicine that I would like to pursue. Okay. Now you talked about while going to school, the work and the training and just struggling to do all of that. Can you talk a little bit about, you talked about residency, but your residency training, but also I'm guessing there's a fellowship program in there as well and having to be board certified. So talk about all that entailed. What it all takes. Sure. Yeah. With allergy and immunology, you can kind of get there 
going down one of a couple of paths. So like I did, you can train primarily in internal medicine. You can also do the same and train in pediatrics. So you can kind of get there from multiple avenues. But just like you mentioned, there is a fellowship training, which is a subspecialty. And you have to complete a residency first before you do it. I actually practiced general internal medicine for a couple of years before I went back to do my fellowship. But fellowship for allergy and immunology is either two years or three years, depending on if you want to do like bench research. That's typically like a third year if you're going to do just a research a research year. Some allergists, immunologists don't practice clinical medicine. They do more research medicine. And these are some of the allergists, immunologists that work on vaccines and some of those other things kind of on a more global scale. But for me, I did a two-year fellowship which was interesting because when you're applying for allergy and immunology fellowship, each fellowship program kind of has its special area of interest because they're all small programs and it really depends upon the areas of interest of the faculty. So as you're applying, it's really hard because you don't know what you want to kind of be an expert of, right? Do you want to be a food allergy expert or a venom allergy expert or an immunodeficiency expert or so on and so forth? So you kind of need to figure out where you see yourself and then to kind of look at, look at those programs. So for me, as a general internist with my, my residency training focusing on adult medicine, I practice internal medicine for a couple of years, I decided that I needed to be in a program where I was going to really do a lot of the things I wasn't very good at yet. So I chose a program that was probably 60 to 70% pediatric. Mm-hmm. And I trained in a center, which was called the Jeffrey Modell Center for Primary Immune Deficiency, where I felt like I could kind of handle some of the general allergies and asthma and sinus problems and things that we also see in general medicine in adults. But Immune deficiency was something that I really just did not have in my wheelhouse. And so I felt like I need to train in a place that really focuses on that. So I challenged myself and it was a great experience. So when you say immune deficiency for kids, are you talking more about autoimmune diseases or something different? It's a good question. So autoimmune diseases are a little bit different. So autoimmune problems are problems of immune dysregulation, where the immune system's kind of a little bit off and doing something a little bit wrong. When it comes to immune deficiency, sometimes it's because of a lack of production of different parts of our immune system or kind of declining production over time. So kids and adults who have immune deficiency tend to present with recurring infections. A lot of times we're talking about recurring ear infections and sinus infections and lower respiratory infections. And so my job in that regard is rather than saying, okay, you're sick, let's give you antibiotics. Of course, we we still need to assess acute illness. But I really take that step back and say, well, gosh, this is unusual, right? Why are you having so many? Or why are you having infections that are so severe? Or why are you having infections with unusual features? And let's start to look into why that is for you. And so that's kind of what I do as a clinical immunologist. Okay, makes sense. Now, with some of these patients dealing with immune deficiencies or, or any other areas, it seems like your patients would also be seeing or could be seeing other doctors. If that's the case, are you also working with these other doctors? And if so, is it difficult for you, especially if they're not in the same system? How does that work? Because it it seems like you might be like the project manager, basically, for them, (laughs) working with all those other doctors. (laughs) I think they feel like the project manager. Um, (laughs) Yeah, so there there is a lot of consultation. There's a lot of overlap, for sure. 
And some of the specialties that allergist immunologists overlap with probably the most, the ear, nose, and throat doctors, the pulmonologists, the rheumatologists, especially with autoimmunity, sometimes infectious disease and hematology. And then there are some other disorders too that we overlap with gastroenterology. So it's a lot of collegial work. It's very true that systems don't always overlap. Most allergist immunologists you're going to find working more so in an outpatient setting versus in an inpatient hospital setting. So a lot of what we do is outpatient stuff. So we're calling each other and exchanging notes and letters and trying to stay up to date and kind of co-manage these very, very complicated patients. So Mm. it's a big undertaking, but it's super important, right? You need your healthcare team to really collaborate with one another. So just make the time to do it. Okay. All right. And now with a lot of your patients, especially having immune deficiency, I would think these last seven months or more, seven to nine months, I guess, have been kind of challenging. So how has that been like? I'm guessing these patients are more susceptible and need to take a lot more care or caution. So how has that been like for you? Well, you know, that's a good question. So it's been very interesting because not only have we been seeing that of some immune deficiencies, there are increased risks, but also for others, while they may not have increased risk of transmission of something like coronavirus, they may have increased clinical manifestations if they do get sick. So perhaps a more severe course. So of course, from my patients, there is a lot of concern, but across the board. So I also manage a lot of patients who have asthma and other underlying pulmonary diseases. And then of course, having allergies, just regular old allergic rhinitis. This is a time where coughing and sniffling and sneezing and congestion and post-nasal drip and sore throat, these are not popular symptoms to be having right now. So while there have been a lot of other doctors in clinical practice who have really seen their volumes go down as patients haven't want to come in because of the pandemic, we are busy. We are just constantly seeing patients. And a lot of it is telemedicine now, which is just such an awesome thing to be able to offer our patients, especially those who are some of the more susceptible populations where they don't feel comfortable to go into the office, but they still are able to receive that care. And so that's just so important. So yeah, the last seven, eight, nine months, whatever it's been, It's been a totally new avenue, I think, for all of us, but it's something that's just really important to navigate and to also help patients with a lot of reassurance and calm fears where they may be unwarranted too. Yeah. Okay. With your field, it seems like there's so many unknowns and just a lot of changes too, and changes in the medicine or tools or whatever. So what do you do to keep abreast of that and keep on top of all that? Sure. That's a good question. You're absolutely right. I mean, it's funny, you know, even when I was in medical school years ago, what we learned in immunology is like five minutes of what we would learn now because there's just so much now that we've really understood, you know, what's going on in the genome. I think when I was a medical student, we really have had good knowledge, especially with with regard to immune deficiency of like 35 single gene defects where now there's well over 150 that we well understand. So in order to stay updated with, with all of that, it's really important to always be reading and to read journals and to participate in continuing education opportunities through our maintenance of certification program. There's requirements of how many credits of continuing education you need, but in particular, these all need to be allergy and immunology credits. So we need to kind of keep up with this volume in order to stay current. But that's so important because you really don't want to provide anything less than the best and most updated care to your patients. So as a clinician, we're always trying to to strive to learn more and to understand more. And, and that's what makes it fun. It's never going to get old. <laughs> there used to be an old commercial that was like, you've come to the end of the internet. Like that doesn't happen with allergy and immunology. There's just no end. And, and it's exciting. The future is, is really exciting because there's just always more new and creative things to learn about some of the same information that we thought we had a handle on. 
All right, that's great. Okay. Yeah. Now you talked about what you learned in medical school is just so different than what's going on now. With that, besides that, have there been any surprises to you once you got out of medical school and started working? Things that you never really thought about? It's a good question. You know, I would say specific to immune deficiency, as an adult doctor, I felt like, and this is a pitfall I think that, that many other adult doctors fall under, there is a common assumption that most immune system problems happen in pediatrics. So a lot of internal medicine and subspecialty doctors that primarily take care of adults aren't always on the lookout for that stuff. And I don't know that I necessarily was any more than anyone else before I did my subspecialty training. Some of that may be just because of a paucity of, of allergist immunologists in that if you train in a residency program in a hospital where there maybe there isn't an allergist immunologist, you just don't have that kind of exposure or that, that background to start to suspect it. And so some of these problems, particularly those that are diagnosed in, in adulthood or that happen de novo in adulthood, sometimes patients go on average over 10 years before their problems are truly diagnosed. And that just leads to such a tremendous amount of time of morbidity and time off of work and extended periods of time on antibiotics and things like that, where we just don't have that resource. And some of my immune deficient adult patients are constantly reminding me like, hey, when you talk to my subspecialist in collaboration, please, please, please explain to them about my immune deficiency because it's just not something that everybody has in their in their toolbox, you know, right. everybody has their own area of focus and some of these things that are kind of these more rare disease processes for adult doctors, it's not always there. And, and that was a big learning process for me as I went through my training as well. Mm. Now, just curious, what are some of the medicines that you use for people that have immune deficiency? So I know for autoimmune diseases, there are certain medicines you want to take to suppress the immune system, a lot of uh, steroids and things of that nature. But on the opposite side, or not the opposite side, but with the immune deficiency, what type of things do you want to take? Well, we're always going to start with treating primary infection, just like anybody else. You know, you go to see your doctor if you're sick, you're going to get treated for your primary infection. So a lot of times it starts with antibiotics or really focused treatment for reduction of infection. But beyond that, when we're talking about immune deficiency, part of our diagnostics includes vaccination. So vaccination is important not only to kind of put the immune system to the test to say, okay, are you capable of responding? Are you capable of working the way you should? but also that there's clinical benefit to that as well. So we're kind of prompting the immune system to start producing antibodies and to start working in a more functional way. Some patients will utilize long-term antibiotics, what we call prophylactic antibiotics, which they may stay on maybe several days a week. Sometimes maybe it's intranasal antibiotics for folks who have chronic sinusitis. And for those who really have either more severe immune deficiencies, and these again are, are antibody deficiency syndromes, sometimes we will replace their antibodies with immune globulin replacement therapy. So these are therapies that for the most part are administered either subcutaneously or IV. And then those patients, we monitor them for other non-infectious manifestations as well, which can go along with some of these immune system problems. Okay. And you're also monitoring their liver enzymes, I guess, and things of that nature to make sure. Okay. Wow. Yep. So periodic labs and periodic imaging and things like that. Yeah. So there's a lot of other comorbidities that we find an increased frequency in patients who have certain types of immune deficiencies. So it's a lot of surveillance and stuff yeah. like that. Wow. Interesting. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So it's fascinating stuff for sure. <laughs> it is. It definitely is. <laughs> so can you tell me what a typical day looks like for you? Sure. So a typical day for me, I 
get to my office, I start my clinic at seven, and a majority of my day is kind of the more typical stuff. So I manage a lot of children and adults who have environmental allergies. I take care of food allergy, bad eczema. I see a ton of patients who have chronic hives, um, asthma, things like that. So that's kind of the more typical stuff. So I do a lot of clinical visits either in the office or via telemedicine. And then I'm also supervising our nursing staff who administer allergy shots. So that's an immunotherapy to many of our patients who suffer from environmental allergies and asthma who are coming in day after day, kind of building up or maintaining their allergy shot kind of protocols. So I oversee all of that. Um, and then I kind of go and go and go and go <laughs> until the day's <laughs> over. And then I try and go through all my callbacks and go through all my lab results and do all the charting, which sometimes carries over into the evening, unfortunately. <laughs> I, I tend to spend more of my time kind of face-to-face -face and talking with patients and kind of say, well, I'll get the charting done when I get the charting done. So <laughs> I don't think that's any doctor's favorite part of the day. Is the charting. <laughs> all right. And then when you get home, are you able to just kind of turn it off? Um, you know, when I get home, I try to really focus on family time. So, you know, my husband and I have two young children who are experiencing a lot of their own crazy times of 2020. So both yeah. my kids are going to school virtually from home right now and they play sports and they have activities and all of their stuff. So when I come home in the evening, it's, it's family time and that's, that's kind of it until the next day and we do it again. Right. Okay. All right. Yeah. Great. And then you mentioned hives. This is something I'm just curious about, but yeah. How do you, what do you do for hives? I can give you a good overview. Okay, so, yes, yeah. So I see a lot of patients for hives of yeah. all different types. So yeah. really the cornerstone of management of hives really starts with taking a great history. And to be honest with you, that's all of medicine. Like it really just starts yeah. with, with the story. And so as I kind of come through the patient's story, I pick out important details like how long has this been going on for and are there obvious triggers as to why this is happening. And, and as I sort of start going through and sorting out what I think may be going on, I do a lot of teaching with my patients. So I like to really get down to the nitty gritty. I teach them what a hive is, where it comes from. And then we go through the whole gamut of all the different things that can cause hives. So that way the patients can see and understand where their workup is going and what direction it's going to take because they understand it better. And so patients never will leave a visit with me about hives of any type and feel like, why didn't I get tested for XYZ? They have a very clear picture of what type of, what type of hives they have and then why the evaluation is what it is. And then really we work on the management plan and, um, and then set up continued follow-up. So overall, you know, they're kind of long visits for me. <laughs> I'm a little long-winded about it, to be honest. <laughs> But, but I feel like that's, you know, the most important part that the patients really get out of that visit. And so many times patients who have hives feel very scared. They don't know what it is. They assume that it's some terrible allergy, which it can be, but there's a ton of other things that can cause hives that are all immune system issues mm. that aren't an allergic problem. But what often happens is they'll go see maybe like an acute care provider, whether it's in an urgent care or an ER, or maybe it's a provider in their primary care office that maybe is somebody they haven't seen before or something like that. And the experience often goes like, have you changed your soap? Have you changed your detergent? I've been doing this a long time. I've literally seen like zero cases of hives and swelling caused by soap or detergent, but that's always asked mostly because people just don't understand. And then usually something is said like, well, I don't know what it is that's causing your problem. You need to go see an allergist. But in the meantime, if your throat starts closing or if you're on death's door, like, come on back. 
like have a nice day and the patients are totally losing their mind like are you kidding which which i i get that so i try to really kind of hash it out for them and allow them to really have a good understanding of what the mechanism is and what's happening in their immune system to to manifest that way and patients end up leaving really satisfied because they, they get it they understand the problem well, cool thank you for that i'm one person that doesn't know much at all about hives so thank you for that. <laughs> well it's not so <laughs> okay all right <laughs> so so as far as skills and characteristics Besides the knowledge that you get from medical school and your training, what other skills and characteristics would you say are most important to be successful in your line of business? Oh, that's such a good question. Compassion, for sure. I mean, you have to have patience with your patients because you have to be a good listener. You have to really allow your patients to tell you what's, what's going on. And, and I think even beyond that, you really need to have a good understanding of that level of morbidity that patients feel. I mean, they really feel that their allergies, their recurrent infections, they just take a tremendous toll on their quality of life. These patients are exhausted of taking their medications. They have terrible sleep quality. They go through their lives like in this, you know, congested days and they feel like they're running the hamster wheel for sure. And so having that understanding and really being empathetic to how they feel really allows them to recognize how much you're partnering with them in order to really change the trajectory of their lives and to, to improve that quality and make them live better. I mean, everybody deserves that. So I think those are some qualities that, that make such a tremendous difference. In yeah. Actually. Like that. All right. Yeah. And then can you talk about what you love about what you do. You mentioned earlier that it doesn't get old, the stuff that you do and that ain't, but oh, yeah. yeah. So can you just talk <laughs> about what you, what you love about it? You know, one thing, there's so many things I love. It's hard to really mm-hmm. put my finger on one thing, but one thing I do really love about this is how much I can kind of like be part of the fabric that weaves a family together. This often happens where a parent will bring their child to see me and they'll say, you know what, when I schedule their follow-up, I'm going to make an appointment for myself because I struggle from some of these same things. And I'm going to have my husband come and see you or something like that because of this or that. And so I really get to know these families and to be able to see them longitudinally over time, especially as children grow and their quality of life are so important to me and to be able to see them live better with less symptoms on less meds. It's just a a beautiful thing. So I really have a lot of joy in the longitudinal nature of following patients, but also full families. It's really nice. I think there's one family I was actually seeing four generations of their family. Wow. It's really amazing. Whoa. Okay. Yeah, it really was. (laughs) Now, what about on the flip side? I know that right now with everything that's going on with COVID is a challenge, but are there any other challenges or obstacles for you? Oh, good question. I think the insurance industry is always an obstacle. Being adequately reimbursed for the amount of work that you do and the time that you take in every specialty, I think that's just really hard. There's a lot of changes that happen every year, and I feel like it just, I don't know, sometimes doesn't get easier. So dealing with that is is often a challenge, but people who are in my field do it because of their passion. They do it because they love making a difference. So stuff like that kind of takes a back seat even though those are challenges that they affect your bottom line. You're not having a successful practice and you can't continue to take care of your patients. So that's a hard thing. But I think that care that you give to your patients really supersedes all of that stuff. Now, that's interesting with the insurance, 
I know things have changed. Has it gotten to a point where you kind of worry so much about what you write down or, or what you say because of the insurance companies and some of the tactics? Well, I mean, it's a good question. I mean, you have to document regardless. Uh, and so you have to document to justify the work you do. But you also have to document because you're writing a narrative of what's happening with the patient. So especially for me, collaborating with other doctors, you can't send somebody a progress note that doesn't say much. You know, right. So you have to really do your due diligence to document appropriately of what the patients are experiencing and what your treatment plan is. And usually if you're doing an adequate job in that regard, then that's enough. You know, okay. I wouldn't think that you have to do anything special beyond that, but you definitely can't take shortcuts and get paid for it. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And... Do you have any memorable moments that stick out in your career? Oh, my goodness. I wish I prepared for that one. Gosh, memorable moments in my career. There have been so many. So I've had a very varied career. When I went to medical school, I had applied for a scholarship through the military. So I actually spent 10 years as active duty Navy physician. And so I had a lot of memorable moments, even in my life as a military physician, I got to deploy on a humanitarian mission down to Central and South America and the Caribbean and provide humanitarian medical care for some of our populations down that way. And that was a really memorable experience that happened right at the time that I had been selected for fellowship, but I hadn't started training yet. And so there was a gentleman who was a civilian volunteer on that deployment, who is also an allergist immunologist. And he actually was the most recently retired chief of the medical corps reserve of all people. And so I learned a lot from him. We had a lot of really neat conversations about kind of the trajectory of where my career may go, life after the military and things like that. So while that wasn't necessarily a memorable patient care moment from a career standpoint, that was something that that had a big impact on me and my career from that point forward. Yeah, no, I love it. Love it. That's great. That's so cool. The work you did for the Navy, correct? Navy, The Navy physician in the Navy. That's awesome. Yeah, I loved it. I mean, it's like you finish medical school and you have your whole life to to be a doctor. You do your residency, you do a fellowship, like, and then you've arrived, yeah. right? And that was it. So for me, it was really cool. You know, those 10 years, I, I really got to do and see different things and live in different places and work with just a tremendous array of colleagues who I'm just so blessed to have learned from through the years. And they're all scattered everywhere too now. And some of them remain in the military or getting close to their retirement. And some are civilians like I am now. So it's really neat. It's a very collegial place. And and that really shaped my career in a lot of great ways. So now years later, I'm getting to do things in my career that many people did 10 years ago. But for me, it's new. It's exciting. Lots of changes. And the future is really an exciting time, I think. Yeah, that, that's great. Yeah, the, the experiences you've gotten, and thank you for your service. Oh, yes, no problem. No problem. All right, so Karen, we're at the end of this interview. Okay. I want to get to this quick hitter session, though, to ask you some questions for fun, to, for people sure. to get to know you a little bit better. But before okay. we get there, though, is there anything additional that you would like to discuss or anything that you think I might have left off asking you? Oh, no, I think we covered such a, a broad array of what we do in my specialty, and, and that's really just like our conversation tonight has been so, so varied. That's a typical day, right? Yeah. So there's so many different things that I, that I get to do in different aspects of, of my job, which just keeps it really fun. It keeps it really fresh. Good. Nice. All right. So let's go to these quick hitter questions. Okay. <laughs> First question. What's your favorite sports team? Um, so I went to undergraduate at Penn State. And so I follow college football. Of course, this year we haven't quite kicked it off yet, but but I like to watch I like to watch NCAA football and, and Penn State's my team. 
All right. Nice. All right. Favorite movie or show? Um, gosh, I don't really watch too, too much TV. Um, right now, um, my husband and I are finishing up with the last season of Outlander. So okay. that's a super cool show. So I've been enjoying that. I like to watch documentaries on like Nat Geo and stuff like that. So I love the animal shows. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yep. Favorite musical artist or group? I'm a self-proclaimed parrot head. So I've followed Jimmy Buffett for quite a long time. My husband, his favorite band is Metallica, which I also have grown a significant liking for through the years. And we got to see a really cool show last year. We took a trip out to San Francisco and got to see Metallica play with the symphony orchestra. So wow. that was just really unique. And it was a very cool experience. That That's was awesome. Favorite. Yeah. For sure. Favorite vacation spot? Usually I would say somewhere beachy. We tend to go to a lot of vacations in a relaxed kind of swimming, beaching <laughs> environment. Yeah. Although this summer, our family, we took a road trip out to some of the national parks out west. We went to Yellowstone and Grand Teton and Badlands and Mount Rushmore. And that was a really memorable experience and definitely one of my favorites. Okay, nice. And favorite food or drink? Probably ice cream. <laughs> I love <laughs> Any flavor? ice cream. Um, no, all flavors. All flavors, okay. <laughs> all right, love it. Well, Karen, this has been great. Loved your stories. I learned a lot from this, and I just love the passion that comes out of you that and what you do. So, congrats on all that you've done, all your achievements, and thank you so much for coming on to this podcast. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, and I hope that you and your your audience really enjoyed it. Oh, yep. Yep, definitely. And is there a way that if people have any questions that they can reach out to you? Sure. So I am on Facebook and Instagram at Kaufman Allergy um, on Facebook and Dr. Kaufman Allergy on Instagram. And my website is KaufmanAllergy.com. All right. Sounds good. Thanks Thank a lot. You so much. Have a good one. You too. Thank you, everyone. If you have any comments or questions or would like to be on the podcast, please reach out to me on Instagram at Rodolfo Cooper. Thank you. Bye.